Good morning, Karen. I am so glad to have you here with me. I'm just going to, I'm going to go right into your bio. Okay. And and then I'm going to let you talk and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Okay. All right. Karen Curry Parker is one of the world's leading experts on using quantum human design, the power of archetypes and personal narrative to activate peak performance potential. She's developed a system that explores the relationship between quantum physics and human design, a cross-cultural personality assessment system that synthesizes ancient and modern archetypes to enhance people's creativity capacity. Karen works with C-suite leaders, including the founder of the 8020 Foundation, an organization that helps build creative initiatives for entrepreneurs. Karen is currently working on her PhD in integrative health, integrative health and exploring the impact of personal narrative and language on gene regulation and function. She is a multi best-selling author and has written more than 17 books. Karen is the mother of eight children and lives in Minneapolis with her family. Wow, that is a lot. <laughs> It's like, where do you find time for everything that you're doing? I mean, we only have 24 hours in a day and you're working on your PhD. You've got eight kids. You're putting out all these amazing books. So with that, can you just tell us a little bit more about you, Mm -hmm. uh, your story and how you got involved in human design? So the the story of human design and how I came across human design is kind of magical and weird. Um, it definitely was not where I planned to take my life at that point in time. In uh, 1999, I was a suburban housewife homeschooling four of my kids. By the way, I have eight children, but seven of them are gone and, and out of the house. So I have a lot more time than I used to. Um, <laughs> so. So I was homeschooling the kids and my husband at the time went on a spiritual treat to Sedona, Arizona. I was living in Texas and he came back with a human design chart. Um, He showed me the chart and literally it was just like some kind of bell went off inside my soul and time just stopped. And I looked at that chart and I just started to cry. Something about that chart moved me so deeply. And I decided right there in the moment that I had to learn everything that I could about that chart. So um, at the time, the international headquarters for human design was located in Sedona, Arizona. So we put the house on the market, packed up the kids, drove across the Texas to Arizona. And as soon as we arrived in Arizona, in Sedona, my youngest son had an ear infection. So I took him to the pediatrician's office. And as I came out of the pediatrician's office with this kid on my hip, I noticed that across the hallway was a door with the human design chart on it. So I thought, well, I'm going to go in here and see what this is. So I opened the door and uh, in this office, there was a large desk with a tiny woman sitting behind it. And (laughs) she said to me, oh, did you come for the job? And I said, yes, I did. And so she hired me there on the spot to work as her assistant. Uh, And that was that that office was the international headquarters for human design at the time. So uh, I got to study and work 
with the founder of Human Design, Ra Uruhu. I got to take all kinds of classes and trainings and really kind of work on the ground floor of getting human design out into the world. So that was my start. Uh, a few years later, I actually quit the organization and went on to do some of my own work with human design. Um, but that was kind of how it all started. It was really kind of magical. Yeah, that, that kind of sounds like a meant to be moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love the way that you say that magical because so many people, when they think of magic, they don't think of things like this, but it is magical because mm -hmm. your son didn't have that particular ear infection. You didn't go to that doctor. It wouldn't all have panned out the way it does. So I think while we're on our journey, sometimes we don't understand exactly why things happen the way they do, right. but things kind of just fall into place. Yeah, that's true. That's true. At least I find that to be true. And I think it, it, you know, part of actually what human design brings people is really personalized, customized instructions on how to really be in the flow of your own personal magic so that you're kind of walking down a path that is synchronous and serendipitous and, you know, really in alignment with the bigger part of your destiny. And, um, you know, to me, that's, that's always the sweet spot, the juice of what human design really brings people. It can reconnects them with their magic. Wow. I love that. So can you just explain a little bit about what human design is for those who are new to it? Mm -hmm. So human design is a system of personality assessment. It's a synthesis of Eastern and Western astrology, the Chinese I Ching, the Hindu chakra system, Judaic Kabbalah, and quantum physics. What it does using your birthday, birth time, birth place, just like with traditional astrology, it's it once you input your information into a computer program, it spits out this very interesting looking map that has all kinds of geometric shapes and lines on it. I call it a map on purpose because what it really is, is it's a map of how you're hardwired. So it, it doesn't really tell you who you are per mm. se. So numerology will say you're a number this or astrology will say you're a this sign. And really human design is kind of a complementary tool to all these other assessment systems, even, even Myers-Briggs or, or Enneagram. What it does is it shows you how you interface with the world. So it shows mm -hmm. you how you process energy, how you experience other people in relationships. It shows you how you engage with the physical material world. And it also shows you how you lock in your unique creative capacities so that you are consciously harnessing, if you will, magic, or certainly consciously lining yourself up with where you're supposed to be so that you can fulfill your life purpose or your life mission. Wow. So what are some of the, what, well, I can't say what are some, what are the main archetypes that are represented um, in human design? So in human design, which, you know, as, as, as you already said, is, is really just a synthesis of ancient and modern archetypes. It's, it's different parts of the human story. And we all have as part of our soul curriculum, different parts of the human story highlighted. In human design, there are five core archetypes. Each one of these five core archetypes has a different purpose and a different way of making decisions, which if you really think about your life, you know, your life is kind of the sum total of every choice that you've made. So when you understand how to make good and right and aligned decisions, you start to bring your life into harmony with your destiny or your purpose. 
the first type is called the manifester. Manifestors have a direct nonverbal connection to creative flow or to the quantum field. So if you're a manifester type, which is about 8% of the population, you, you move really quickly when the timing is right for you to go create something. And one of your challenges and your struggles is learning how to articulate or explain to people what you're doing so they can kind of get out of your way and you can just go do what you need to do. Okay. There are two other archetypes that are similar called the generator types. There's a pure generator and what's called a manifesting generator. The pure generator is about 35% of the population. The pure generator is here to find their right work in the world. And the way in which they find their right work in the world is they, they wait and see what shows up in their world. Sometimes we call that signs or sometimes we call that um, signals. We wait for things to show up in our world, and then we respond to the things that feel good and right. So what being a generator means is that you get out of your head, and you don't use your head necessarily for decision-making, but you wait and you keep dancing in response to what shows up in your life and following the path that feels good. The manifesting generator, which is also really technically a generator type, is also about 35% of the population. They're kind of a hybrid between the first type, the manifester, and the generator type. So they do also have a very quick and kind of nonverbal connection to creativity. So they can, when the timing is right, also move very quickly and oftentimes have to stop and explain to people what they're doing, which is not very natural for them. <laughs> and secondly, most importantly, they are also here to respond to what shows up. So in other words, you're not here to get an idea and go make it happen, but rather to hold on to that idea, use that idea to create a certain energy of excitement and anticipation, and then start looking at your outer world for the cues and clues as to what's the next right step for you. The fourth type is called the projector. Projectors are about 20% of the population. Projectors are here to manage and guide and direct others. The, the big asterisk mark on that is that projectors are here to manage and guide and direct the people who are ready to receive their guidance, which means when you are a projector, you are here to make decisions by waiting for people to invite you or recognize you, meaning you don't have to do this for the little decisions in life. If you're a projector, you can, if you need gas or you want to go out to eat, you don't have to wait <laughs> for recognition. But if you want to make a big decision in life, like love, career, moving to another city, you need to get to those places by having the people who are ready to be guided and managed by you invite you or recognize you. This is a really important thing to pay attention to when you're a projector because what that does is it allows you to put yourself into situations where people really value your wisdom and your knowledge. And when you wait for the right people to activate you, if you will, then you put yourself in a place where you can really maximize and use your energy most effectively. The last type is called the reflector. Reflectors are a little bit less than 1% of the population. Reflectors are here to reflect back, to take in and to experience the energy of a community and reflect it back into the community. So they're kind of, been, uh, I like to call them the barometers of how we're doing. So mm. it is the role of the reflector to show us through how they're experiencing our energy, whether we're doing okay, whether we're in alignment or not. So the, the challenge oftentimes for the reflector is to give themselves enough time to make decisions slowly because as a reflector, because you do experience so much energy from people around you, you have to take enough time to really tease out and dissect your energy and make sure that when you're making a decision for yourself, 
you're making a decision that's right for you and not a decision that's being influenced by the energy in your community. Oh, wow. So I know that I am a manifesting generator. Mm -hmm. And I also know that sometimes I'm not, I'm not always sticking to the, um, to the design. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's probably when I run into trouble. (laughs) It's true. Manifesting generators that don't stick to their design often move really fast and oftentimes skip essential steps and have to go back and repair them. So, (laughs) well, but that part about, um, that you mentioned, you have to stop and explain to people what you're doing. That can be, for me, very difficult because I've already thought like, you know, my four steps ahead and I'm doing stuff. And then you have to go back and it's like, well, this is why I'm doing it. Or even at work, you know, at my other place is just trying to document stuff. It's Mm. hard to document because it's just, you just do it. And then now I have to go back and think about all the steps I took to get there. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, totally. And I think, you know, every one of the five types has an emotional theme and the emotional theme for the manifesting generator is frustration. And oftentimes that frustration is, is frustration that other people aren't moving as quickly as you. And you have to either wait for them to catch up or you have to go back and explain to them what you're doing. And if you don't, if you don't explain to them what they're doing, then they're either confused or sometimes even angry with you. And you're like, I didn't do anything. I was just moving fast. So yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> I've run into that very recently in my yeah. family. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about quantum human design and how it differs um, from hum- the original human design. And then like, what led you to develop this and design, so to speak, this new system? So first of all, I just want to say, I don't really consider quantum human design to be a new system. So Mm. the in traditional human design and and Ra Uruhu, the founder of traditional human designs, used to say this all the time. Traditional human design has a specific vocabulary that is designed to wake people up to who they're not. So what, what that really means is that many of us are living our lives from a conditioned perspective, meaning we're doing what we were told we need to do to be successful. We're Mm. following the rules. We're, we've done all those things that maybe our parents told us we have to do, or our teacher said, these are the components that you have to include in your life to be a thriving, successful person in the world. And so for a lot of us, the things that we're doing don't feel right. We don't understand why they don't feel right, but oftentimes we're following along with the rules and we just feel stuck or, or even burned out, which can be a symptom sometimes of, of not living true to yourself. So the original vocabulary in human design was really designed to kind of wake up that part of yourself that bought into the story and internalized in some way that it wasn't okay for you to be who you are and how you are. So that vocabulary is really sort of the, the original part of human design is really comprised of this vocabulary. It's kind of designed to wake people up. It's kind of designed to shock them a little bit. It's sort of designed to give them language to help them describe the person they were being that's not true to their authentic self. Ra always said that one day he would write an awakened version of human design language 
for people who had cleared all of that condition, all those conditioned identities. And unfortunately, he passed in 2011 and wasn't able to complete that part of his mission, if you will, with human design. Mm. My original background is in nursing. And I actually was trained as one of the very first life coaches in the world by Thomas Leonard. I have a background in energy psychology. So my, my whole background before I even encountered human design had a therapeutic bent. Right. And so when I started using human design with my clients and my coaching clients, you know, what I found was that at a certain point, the vocabulary wasn't big enough. It was restrictive. And people even had kind of an internal, almost visceral response to some of the language in traditional human design. They were really grappling with it because it didn't feel like it fit. And so I sat for a lot of years with the idea that maybe the words that we're using in traditional human design aren't really the words we should continue to use as somebody progresses through the deconditioning process, meaning as, as people grow and evolve and consciously take care of whatever traumas they may have, whatever places where they have internalized the story that it's not okay for them to be who they are and how they are, that once they've cleared that, they need a different way to describe who they are. They need a bigger story that can call them forward beyond just, I'm not this anymore. Mm -hmm. So I looked at all the language, all the archetypes in human design and went into a deep, deep dive study for about three years of looking at core archetypes and looking at developmental psychology and looking at life cycles and, and, and really came up after a while, after sort of pulling the whole thing apart with the understanding that the language we were using was very limited. So I actually took, um, this is my, I'll show you this. I don't know if we're showing this on the podcast. This is like one of my favorite books, the synonym finder. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's like <laughs> I, I literally took all the words that we use in traditional human design, came up with all the synonyms. And then we went into the lab and we took it into the lab and language has vibrational frequency. So we actually started measuring the vibrational frequency of different vocabulary words. And we, we, we picked the language that actually holds the highest frequency for the core archetypes. So we went back and redid, or I went back and redid and rewrote all of the language in human design. And of course we call it quantum human design, but really all it is, it's just the evolution of traditional human design. It's the language that helps people construct a narrative that's big enough and juicy enough and compelling enough and promising enough to call them forward beyond just, Hey, I'm not this thing anymore. So now you said something really interesting. You took all the words, you went to the lab. How did you measure the vibration of the words that you were testing? So, so you can, you can actually measure vibrational frequencies from sound. So we took the sound of the word and we measured the vibrational frequency of the sound and looked at what are the high vibing, what are the high vibe words? What are the high vibing synonyms for these parts? And then, so, and then we went back and we looked at each one of these vibrational words and integrated them into the system. So, so we had somebody say the word, right? we had several people say the word, we measured the frequency of the sound of the word we came up with an average and we took the highest frequency synonyms. Wow. That would, my, my mind is just like exploding with thoughts right now. That, <laughs> would, that would be so cool if we, as you know, the general population could just look at all the words we use mm -hmm. and 
if we could just put them to a synthesizer real quick and it's like, oh, wow, that's maybe a word that I want to retract from my vocabulary because mm-hmm. it vibrates so low. And what can I say instead to myself? Because I know we hear a lot about affirmations and, you know, you want to do your affirmations in the present tense and all things like that. But if you can choose, even when you're doing that, if you can take it to the next level mm-hmm. and use words that actually vibrate at a higher level and you understand you, and then you can internalize the fact that you're using words that mm-hmm. are vibrating at a higher level. That would be so amazing. So maybe I'm sure there's a way that we can, I know that obviously there's a way that you can just listen to words and, and feel into them and see how you feel when you say them. Mm-hmm. And you'll know which words for you vibrate higher than others. Right. right. Yeah. It would be really nice if there was a way that we could just like speak into something and it's like, oh, look, this one vibrates really high. <laughs> but, but I think you made a, so, so I have two things I just want to add to that. The first thing is, you know, there's a lot of new research coming out about language and the power and the strength of language. And certainly, you know, one of the things that I'm looking on with my PhD and, and it's very preliminary, but, but we certainly can see that the quality of the personal narratives, the stories we tell about ourselves influence our, our well-being and have the ability to actually upregulate our gene expression. So we know, for example, people who are optimistic are, live longer. They have a longer lifespan. They're less vulnerable to some of the more genetic prone diseases like diabetes. So we know that language can actually affect our physical health and wellness. There's science that just in the last couple of years has come out of uh, a lab in Russia where uh, these these geneticists have programmed the syntax of language into radio frequency waves, and they're actually able to splice DNA with the syntax of language. So language itself and 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 words themselves are probably way more powerful than we realize. And um, you know, I think it's it's to me it's a, of course obviously as a you know, died in the wool word nerd. Um, you know, I'm I'm obsessed with the idea that language can transform us and create. You know, and and there's just so much research. I think that we're beginning to just begin to crest at, at the impact that language has, even on even on the stru- the cellular structure or the crystalline structure of water within the cells. You know, we know from the work of Dr. Masaru Emoto, and if you look at the work of Dr. Gerald Pollock, and even less scientific but kind of pretty the work of Veda Austin, we know language affects the way water crystallizes. And if most of our body is comprised of water, it just makes sense that the words we use is affecting our physical structure. So, you know, I think words and consciously choosing words, and as you said, don't have to take it into a lab. If it feels good, you know, then, then use that word. If it inspires you, if it strikes a little spark in your heart, use that word even if it fills you with so much awe that sometimes you backpedal from it a bit, use it to stretch yourself because, you know, you're, you're, you're creating an infrastructure for yourselves to change through. It's funny because I recently had a very interesting experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a group and they wanted us to sing acapella mm-hmm. in front of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really didn't want to do it, mm-hmm. you know, because well, I was just I was scared. I wanted to sing in front of people because 
you know, I'm not that confident in my singing voice. So the day I read it, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this thing. And I woke up the next morning with a sore throat. Mm. My, it hurt to swallow. Everything just hurt. Mm. And that is, you know, so I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I know it's, you know, I know it's the fear manifesting in my body, but I also believe it's the words that I was using. It's like, I really don't want to do this. And just putting it out there with such mm. energy that I had this physical manifestation of, you know, my throat just was not willing to do this mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I pushed through the fear and did it anyway. And then of course my throat no longer hurts. So just in that, like, can I use that power for good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because clearly if I can use it for, and not consciously even, but the negative outcome mm-hmm. of my throat hurting then, you know, obviously I can turn that around and use it for good and watch other good things manifest in my body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think the other thing that we see is when we, when we look at children who are in an environment, and I'm not even going to say it has to be verbally abusive, who are in an environment where the language is such that Again, they they question, is it okay for me to be who I am and how I am? That the body actually starts recording that energetically and and uh, and physiologically as a microtrauma. And at a certain point, if you experience enough of the verbal messages that say you can't be who you are, you can't be how you are, you got to be different, you got to do this, you have to be this way, that that microtrauma creates. A, a, a sort of a micro PTSD around being authentic. And so we start to cultivate these protective identities around our authentic self. And it triggers sort of this low grade state of cortisol and adrenaline because we're in this high, you know, this hypervigilant state of being prepared to defend ourselves against the message of you can't be who you are and how you are. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's hugely impactful. It, you know, it disrupts the thymus, it it disrupts the immune response, it creates vulnerability to things like lower back pain, to immune dysfunction, to, you know, anxiety and anxiety disorders. It's huge. So we think, oh, words, words, it's just words. But the, you know, I think we have to really understand that when we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never work, hurt me, that that's actually not true. Right. That's not true at all. And we have to get much more conscious about how we use language, both for ourselves. And I think in particular for how we talk to children and hear yes. the subtleties of the way in which we speak to them. If you say to your kid, hey, don't forget your shoes. You're not saying, don't forget your shoes. What you're saying underneath that is, oh, you're forgetful. I need to remind you. And even though we think, oh, we're helping them get ready for class or for school, what we're doing is internalizing in them the the undercurrent of the message of you're a forgetful person. You need reminding. You can't stay focused. And, And just, you know, if you start dissecting the way we talk to people and in particular, the way we talk to children, and how that impact, and if you really start thinking about the impact of that long-term on self-worth and self-esteem, it's mind-blowing. Wow. that And that is, I think, such a common thing. Mm-hmm. 
But I do remember learning a while ago that instead of saying to somebody, don't forget, tell them to remember. Right, right. So remember, like we're in your example, it would be like, remember your shoes. <laughs> right, right. No, totally. Yeah. So that way you're programming them that, oh, you remember things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But that's such a, it seems like such a subtle difference. But I think it, in the long run, based on what you're saying, it makes a huge difference. It does. Yeah, it does. And I think we don't have the metrics on it yet, but I think as we continue to look at, okay, how does language impact self-worth, for example, and how does self-worth impact the body? You know, I think we're going to start to see in, in longer term research studies that saying remember versus saying don't forget actually increases what long-term well-being And that's really interesting. And that kind of brings me into my next question, because I know you work with EFT Mm -hmm. or emotional freedom technique. So how do you incorporate this with human design types? And and I'm going to make it a multiple question. So I'll I'll go back because it's it's, it's just sort of coming to me as I'm, I'm thinking about the question. But while we're talking about words and, you know, the micro traumas that we may have had because of the words that were used with us, how now can we use the emotional techniques to kind of raise our vibration and change our belief around stuff? Okay, <laughs> so, that's a great question. So I'm, I'm gonna try to keep it as simple as I can because I think it's really a very simple answer. We are, most of us are living in a space where when there is a stimulus, we respond based on our conditioning and our old personal story. So if you, if I say the word money and you have a narrative around money and finance and support that isn't healthy. So if I say the word money and you are instantly transported to worry, fear, memories of when you didn't have enough memories of when you thought you had enough then the car broke down all that stuff that happens with money right that when i say the word money your body literally creates a, a reaction to the archetype of the word money part of what human design does is it allows you to take control of that space between stimulus and response so that your response is no longer conditioned and reactive and you actually can deliberately control how you react or respond to life. So when we are looking at building a new story for someone, so let's say we let's say we start building a new story for someone around money. And of course, how your energy operates is going to influence how you create money in the world. Not everybody by design is designed to work for money in the way that many of us are trained to work for money. So, for example, manifestor types, projector types, and reflector types in particular are not necessarily designed to have a traditional Monday through Friday, nine to five job. That's a lot of energy that they have to work really hard to sustain, and oftentimes they can't. And so those three energy types are more vulnerable to burnout. So if you've got an energy type who is not designed to work in the traditional way that we think of as working, oftentimes one of the symptoms is that they struggle with money because we have a very strong collective belief that if you want to make money in the world, you have to have a job. And if you want to make more money, you have to work harder, right? And Mm -hmm. so any trauma that we have around work, money, and working harder and money and energy and having the energy to work and money lives in that gap 
between stimulus and response. So what EFT does is it actually allows us to get into that gap and start exploring what experiences, what stories, what beliefs, what's happened to you that's caused you to have beliefs, let's say, about money that are keeping you from trusting that you can be supported by expressing your authentic self. So we help you get control using EFT over that narrative so that you start building a new set of beliefs and stories that support the idea that you can be who you are in the world and create whatever money you need and want. Oh, wow. So do you have, because I know you've done a lot of books. So in any of your books, do you have scripts that people can use like EFT scripts. I'm all, I'm already tapping on the side of my life. <laughs> I'm talking no, about it and tapping. You don't yet, but I'm working on writing it right now. <laughs> um, so actually what we do is we have an entire professional training system called the quantum alignment system that integrates tapping scripts with all of the archetypes in the human design chart. So um, we don't have a book per se, but we do have trainings where we teach uh, quantum alignment system practitioners to use EFT along with, we also use subtle body uh, therapies with it. So we actually have a line of custom blended flower essences that we use in conjunction with the EFT. Cause I found that if we use the flower essences with the EFT, it stabilizes the energy field while the rest of the integration happens from EFT after the tapping session. So we, we have this whole um, integrated training system that we use to help people learn how to implement EFT with their unique, with, with people's individual human design charts. See, that sounds so interesting to me because I, I, I do tend to geek out on certain things like that. So. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Entire <laughs> lifetime of geeking out over it. Yes. <laughs> and it's so funny that even just saying the words, I just went into the action, like the first part of the action. <laughs> that just, I amused myself because I wasn't expecting that. And it just sort of showed up. So, okay. So if um, people want to learn more, mm-hmm. let's say they're just a beginner. Mm-hmm. And because I know people learn in different ways. So I know that you have classes and programs and then you have books. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wanted to, a beginner wanted to get a book, which one of your books would you suggest? I mean, I think the the best beginner book is the Understanding Human Design book, which is the very first book that I wrote about human design. It was published in 2011. It is traditional human design. It's not quantum human design, but it's it's a really great place to start because it really helps people break down the parts of the chart and really understand who they're not before and kind of lays the groundwork for them to then move on to explore, okay, if I'm not this, what am I instead? Okay. So then if we want to take a course, Mm -hmm. what would be the best one to start with and and where will we find it? So I would recommend that you go to my website, quantumalignmentsystem.com. And there is a a school, there's actually a tab on the website that takes you to our school. And I would, you know, there, there are a lot of good beginner courses there. So I, I would say part of it's going to depend on is there an area of your life that you are struggling with in particular? So are you struggling with money or relationships or parenting? Because we've got very specific beginner courses that cover, you know, some of those basic things in life that sometimes can give us a lot of pain and can kind of be 
where we have symptoms of misalignment with our authentic self. We also have a brand new introductory program called the Human Design Workbook. <laughs> so oh, okay. um, that's an easy one to start with. It's actually a you know a pretty pretty easy low cost self study program. Um, that, that those are pro- there are so many options on that page. I'm not trying to be um, wishy washy about it. I just uh, we have created a lot of really good introductory materials, and part of it's just dependent on you know, are you in pain or are you just curious? Cause we have, we've got something for all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and, and that's really good because sometimes choices can be overwhelming, but then if you can hone in on what you need in the moment, then that's perfect. Because yeah. I know sometimes you want, you want something specific, but then you fall into this thing of one size is supposed to fit all and then you do it and then it doesn't really fit. So mm-hmm. I think it's nice that, you know, you can hone in on whatever it is you need. So I'm human design curious <laughs> versus <laughs> I need right? to fix this thing right now, even though technically yeah. we know, well, I guess maybe everybody doesn't know, but in a certain space, people know that they're not broken, mm-hmm. but there are things that can be improved upon. <laughs> right. Right. And I, and I think that's, that's just another way of, of using language to right. remind yourself that no, you're not broken. You're not this or that. You just, you know, you might need a tune up or, you know, you I might like need that. an improvement like somewhere. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. And, and like I said, you know, some, there are, I think there are five core areas where people tend to experience pain, There's relationships, physical pain, financial pain, career pain, and spiritual pain. And, you know, oftentimes if we're experiencing pain in any of those five core areas, it's really just a symptom of somehow internalizing the message that you can't be who you are and how you are. And it just shows up symptomatically in these five different areas. And if one of those five areas is really hurting you, you know, I've got programs for you to start there so that you can get out of pain because then you can start learning more about your human design. But if you're hurting you know, it's kind of like if you show up at the doctor's office and you're in pain, the first thing we're going to tackle is the pain as a symptom before we get underneath to, okay, well, why are you in pain? Right. You're not going to care about why you're in pain if you're hurting. First, you want to deal with the hurting and then you want to figure out the why. So that was sort of the method to my madness in, in structuring it the way that I did. So are people still able to work with you directly or do they, can they just work with you like through your programs if you're doing anything live? So I don't take private clients anymore. Um, however, I do train people professionally. And if you go to the website, quantumalignmentsystem.com, you'll see a whole list of our practitioners. We have practitioners all over the world. Um, and if, if you want to coach with them or you want to get a reading, they're amazing, amazing people. They call them my army of love. Um, <laughs> they're all dedicated to helping people remember who they are and be the person they were born to be. I like that because I think there's so many people out there and dare I say women (laughs) who Mm. are not living the lives that they're meant to live. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, you know, they're waking up thinking, Oh my God, there's gotta be more to life than this because they're living somebody else's dream. They're living somebody else's life. They're living somebody else's supposed to. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, now, now is the time really for us to break out of that and really live into who we're meant to be Mm -hmm. instead of who somebody else wanted us to be. Right. Right. No, totally. I think that's a big, it's a big challenge for women. 
Um, and I think it's an interesting challenge for women that oftentimes hits them between the ages of 48 and 52 when they, you know, they really start going, okay, I've done everything I should do. Now I want to do what I want to do. And oftentimes I find with women, especially if they've really had a life where they've been dedicated to say raising children or taking care of family, that that question of, well, what do I want to do is a really big question. And they oftentimes have really forgotten and they need that touch point to bring themselves back to, oh yeah, I forgot. I really love this. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it has been such an incredible pleasure speaking with you. And I'm so glad that you were able to make time to do this. So thank you so, so much for being here today. And look forward to popping on your website yet again, because it's not (laughs) like I haven't taken courses with you before, (laughs) which is why, you know, I really wanted you here because I love your work and I just wanted, you know, to be able to share that with others. So thank thank you you again for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it so much. Okay. Well, bye. Bye.